Hi, this is Pastor Brittany Isaac from Urban Village Church, Chicago. We are a church that is bold, inclusive, and relevant. I know that many of you out there are hungry for a gospel message of healing and wholeness, a message that leads to a life transformed by Christ. I hope that this podcast does just that. And if it does, would you please consider making a financial gift that will support this gospel-inclusive ministry? You can do that by going to urbanvillagechurch.org forward slash give. Thanks so much, and have a blessed day. <laughs> okay, let's do that over. Good morning. Okay, that sounded a lot better. All right, if you have a Bible with you, or if you don't have a Bible with you, we'll have the scripture right up there, and we'll be reading out of John chapter 20. Verse 30 and 31. Now Jesus did many things, many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. Now we'll scoot right over to chapter 21, verses 24 and 25. This is the disciple who is testifying to these things and has written them. And we know, this, we know his testimony is true. But there are also many other things that Jesus did. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. This is the word of God for the people of God. So this is an awesome service. I love stories. And the scripture sets us up perfectly for this service. It talks about the stories of Jesus being so numerous and so great that we couldn't possibly contain them all. The title of our service is Joining in the Story that God is Telling. So we're going to talk about some stories. And our first story is called Shh, We Have a Plan. There's an awesome video for it. And we are going to watch that and continue through the service, listening to the stories of people from this community and from others. So, here we go. Isn't that story cute? I love it. So, we get the joy of listening to a lot of stories. This one is a humorous one about the plans we make and how they're not always the best, which speaks to adults as well as children. Uh, but we also get to listen to the stories of people in our community. And so I am super happy and thankful that we get to listen to someone who was baptized into this community in January, who is a great person to eat lunch with and to hang out with. She's a wonderful person. And she's here. Isn't that wonderful? Her name is Cece. So everyone give it up for Cece as she comes to share. I'm 5'2 on a good day. Don't worry about it. I just want to give you a hard time. Uh, a story I won't tell, though, is um, why birds really bother me and all the reasons why that story. A lot of bird feelings. Um, um, so my name's Cece. Uh, excited to be here with you today. Um, in the back-to-school spirit, uh, I'm going to tell a story about school um, and uh, 
maybe uh, say a little something about stories and storytellers. Um, so here we go. Spring of 2007, uh, regular decision admissions acceptances have come out. Um, I had gone into the University of Chicago early, uh, but was waiting to see if I would get into an Ivy League school or if I was going to get good scholarship money from some other school. Um, and after all these acceptance packets were read, uh, two distinct paths uh, were before me. Uh, one path, go to Chicago, study something, um, you know, investigate this sexy selling thing they were selling to me called the life of the mind. Okay, other path. Um, more professional, more, uh, more responsible, maybe. Um, undergraduate business at NYU Stern, uh, the honors business program at Boston University. I, I end up choosing UChicago. Um, potential paths diverge. Uh, I move away from the high-powered business policy, whatever career uh, that I had pitched to, uh, to most of the schools I had applied to. Um, the, the story I tell about choosing a college, usually in canon here, um, I could tell you why I picked UChicago or how it changed me, um, but you have all the story elements, right? Uh, you have the setting, senior year of high school, the exposition, uh, kid gets into several schools. Um, the conflict, you can only choose one. Uh, the climax, you decide on you, Chicago. The denouement, your uh, life is transformed. Um, and it turned out to be a, a pretty awesome choice. Uh, but that's not the actual story I have for you. Um, today's story is about how a choice I made as a kid uh, almost 10 years ago at this point, turned out to be the setup for a story that God and I are still telling. Um, there's this philosopher at Rutgers called Ruth Chang. She has this TED Talk about hard choices. Um, and she tells us that hard choices are hard uh, because they cannot be assigned comparable values. Uh, take a choice between two jobs you like or two places you might live or two possible relationships. Uh, you can add up all the, you know, proposed gains or costs of these choices, but um, hard choices are hard because they also have other relevant aspects that are different in kind from one another, um, and yet still somehow all add up uh, being on par with each other. So you need, like, something else to help you make your hard choices. Uh, and the something else, uh, you know cannot be contained in the usual reasons of better money or a better environment or you happen to be more attracted to one person or another. You have to, in this space of hard choices, create your own values and reasons for the difficult decisions you end up making. And when we generate these reasons for the hard choices you make, uh, we determine our own values and we become more of who we are becoming. So what does the first story I told you um, and this way of thinking about hard choices have to do with God's story? Um, I've told the, the picking college story many times to many different people. Uh, the reasons I gave for picking UChicago or why it was important or transformative have never included God in the past. So here's the story I have for you today. And uh, technically it's my second time telling it, but... It's the first time uh, today it's been told. Um, 
And the story is, it was in the back of uh, a U Chicago classroom, uh, reading some long-dead Enlightenment thinker that I first felt the symptoms of anxiety that came back in law school uh, and that grew into an existential crisis that eventually led me to seek a spiritual community like UVC. And the first sermon I ever heard at UVC was about anxiety. And it also happened to feature a TED Talk. Um, today's story is that it was at U Chicago that I tagged along to a friend's Episcopalian fellowship, despite being burned by my parents' socially and politically conservative church. And I met a religious community that was welcoming and deliberative rather than alienating or oppressive. Um, it was there that the period that I had put on my story with God and church started becoming a comma. Um, it was at U Chicago that I learned uh, about systems of social control, that I learned uh, what it meant to ex live and examine life um, and to question our notions of what is good and to yearn for a deeper human flourishing in a way that cannot be satisfied by wealth or power, but only through being in intentional um, and thoughtful relationships and community with others. Um, the Choosing You Chicago story today is a story about all of us and about becoming people who need grace and love and peace and joy to live well and that none of these will be adequately supplied by the prizes of an elite education or a prestigious job. Uh, the U Chicago story today is that I now know that all of these things come from being a child of God and living that truth. Uh, every week at UBC, not just this particular Sunday where the theme is stories, uh, we hear and tell each other stories. Um, and each story we tell and uh, each testimony we give, um, it's about all of us becoming God's story. Thank you. Amen. Our second testifier of the day is a ministry exploration intern. He is a pretty chill guy, pretty awesome. Um, and he's a part of this community. And so without further ado, I invite Colin McDonald. Oh, as we're applauding, I can say Colin does a lot of our community connection. And one of the things that he does is help us connect with our neighbor and specifically our neighbors in this community. And next Sunday after the second service, there'll be a community lunch. So, yes, take it over. This, uh, yeah, that's right. So next Sunday is a busy Sunday. There's a lot going on. But one thing we're going to be doing is a community connect lunch. So right after second service, uh, just bring your wallet and uh, your, your, uh, your courage. If you're like me and the idea of sitting with people you don't know very well for more than half an hour is just about horrifying, um, I encourage you to do it anyway. I'll be there. We'll be in solidarity. It'll be great. No, it'll be, it'll be really nice, and it's just a totally informal chance for us to relax and get to know each other. So, hi, I'm Colin. Uh, I'm going to share a story about 
a, a current friend, an old friend, um, and my best friend. And that's not a term that I that I use uh, loosely. I'm not I'm not one for extremes in speech. I don't like to say amazing. I don't like to say greatest, least, best. Um, but Ross uh, Van Beek is my best friend. We have. Um, we have known each other our whole lives. The day that he was born, my mother found out she was pregnant with me. And, and since that time, we grew up as neighbors. We grew up on the floor together. Uh, it's, it's been a long trip. Um, and since that time, uh, Ross has really been the, the working definition of, of what I would think to, to be a friend. In the seventh grade, uh, when I found out that I had not even been called back for basketball tryouts, Ross immediately offered to invite me to his, his church uh, and come to the church's basketball court so we could silently shoot hoops together. When I was 21, on the morning of my sister's wedding, uh, having spent the morning with the, the groomsmen, having a leisurely breakfast, uh, and then uh, wondering where my suit was um, and realizing that it was locked in the trunk of a car that was parked outside of the reception hall some 45 minutes away from the church, uh, because I'd driven it there the night before responsibly. Ross came in my dad's Camaro, picked me up, and, uh, and drove 80 miles on 88 so that we would get there and back and make it back for the processional in time. Ross is someone who offers help, who joins the story without being asked. And when we were about eight or nine years old, uh, on a lazy summer afternoon, not unlike today, Ross and I helped each other uh, to embark on a classic male American activity, and that was uh, shooting a version of our own video for Right Said Fred's I'm Too Sexy <laughs> in our family's dining room. You know, wait, it sounds like we all know the song, he's too sexy for everything, this, that, yeah, yeah, right. We weren't, uh, we weren't as attuned at the time to the, the song's irony. It's actually a very funny song. It, it has relevance today, even more than it did in the 90s, I think. Uh, we were taking it quite literally. Um, and as I, as I joked in first service, it's a good thing we didn't have our hands on the Bible at the time. We, uh, we set up a camera. We, we shed our clothing, mostly. And uh, we walked down the catwalk, uh, which we interpreted to mean a place where cats walk. And as we walked, we kicked stuffed animal cats out of the way of our prepubescent sexiness. Let me make sure I get that in scare quotes. Sexiness. Ross was, a, Ross was a sprightly young guy. He was athletic. He was large. He kicked a stuffed animal cat in the direction of the camera, which ended up hitting my mother's Art Deco tea set, which had been gifted to her from her great-grandmother. The teacup fell. Of course it did. <laughs> the teacup smashed into little pieces. It has often struck me that we don't tell our stories so much as our stories tell us. And the story in my head that told me was that my mother would be outraged that Ross had done a bad thing. And so my response in that moment after the cup had fell, my response to Ross's character, to the person I knew him to be, to what I knew our relationship to be, was to look him square in his already nervous eyes and tell him to run.
As Ross fled, uh, my mother at the same time, we lived right next to, to the, uh, the church where my mother worked, we were in, in the parsonage. My mother was coming home at the same time. She walked in the door, uh, having just seen Ross flee, and asked me what was, what was going on. And I proudly gestured to the, to the broken cup, this object that I had let overshadow my mother, the object I'd somehow turned into an emblem of right and wrong, which I was now claiming as evidence of who Ross was as well. She looked at the cup, and she asked me where Ross had gone. And still at this point, I thought to myself, oh, I hope he's running. But of course, she went outside, she invited Ross back in the home, and she told him that no object mattered as much to her as he did. That there was no story that meant as much to her as him. Thank you. So last service, you got away without, oh, without me getting to pray for you. But behold, like Ross, I'm going to break your china glass. Okay, okay. Everyone extend a hand out to Colin. We are going to pray for him. God, thank you so much for Colin and for the story that you are telling in his life. Thank you that we get to participate in his story and in yours. Amen. So our next story is super exciting. So you all remember like library story day or like the scholastic book fair? Oh my God, scholastic book fairs. I hope it's not a copyright infringement to say their name without like permission. Whatever. I'm poor, they can't sue me. So <laughs> welcome to Scholastic Book Fair Day. We're going to read a book. It's called Bagels from Benny. And um, as a little bit of backstory, because this is important, Benny is from a different faith tradition than us. Benny is Jewish. I assume that Benny is short for Benjamin, but that's just me. And it's important because Jewish people don't worship in churches like we do. They worship in synagogues. And that is a key part of this story. So without further ado, Bagels from Benny. And I'm going to point at y'all when it's time to turn the page. The sun was just waking up when Benny ran downstairs to Grandpa's bakery. He always helped Grandpa before he went to school. He swept the floor and dusted the shelves. He put cookies and cakes on the counter. He put bagels and buns in the bins. Benny loved to help his Grandpa. People bustled in and out of Grandpa's bakery all day long. Some bought bread, some bought cake, some bought apple strudel. Everyone bought bagels. His grandpa baked the best bagels in town. So crusty outside, Mrs. Silver declared. So soft inside, added Mr. Gold. You put love in your bagels, gushed Mrs. Green. Thank you so much. And who else? Uh, grandpa handed Mrs. Green a bag full of bagels. Why thank me, he asked. And who else should I thank, laughed Mrs. Green. Just then, the clock struck eight, We'll be late for work, cried Mrs. Silver. Dear me, gasped Mr. Gold. Toodaloo, sang Mrs. Green, and they scurried out the door. Benny was puzzled. 
Why shouldn't Mrs. Green thank you? You make the bagels. Benny, he asked, aren't bagels made with flour? Yes, said Benny. Doesn't flour come from wheat? Yes, Benny nodded. Where does wheat come from? From the earth, answered Benny. And who made the earth? God did, Benny replied. And Grandpa smiled. Then thank God for the bagels. It was a good idea. Benny closed his eyes. Thank you, God, he whispered. Then he waited. Did he hear me, Grandpa? You ask difficult questions, Grandpa chuckled. God always hears you. But Benny wasn't so sure. If God really heard him, why didn't he answer? At school that day, Benny did no work. He didn't read and he didn't write. At recess, he sat alone in the shade of a maple tree. What's wrong? asked his teacher. What's wrong? asked his friends. I'm thinking, Benny sighed. Then he was still thinking when he went to bed that night. Maybe God didn't answer because I didn't thank him properly. He yawned. Maybe there's some other way to thank God for his bagels. Then he falls asleep. Early Friday morning, a little sunbeam danced into Benny's bedroom. He jumped onto his pillow and tickled his eyelids until they opened. Benny's eyes sparkled in the sunlight. And suddenly, he had an idea. He leapt out of bed and ran downstairs. That morning, Benny worked very hard in the bakery. Grandpa, he asked, would you pay me for my work? Grandpa raised his eyebrows. Pay you? How much? A big bag of bagels, replied Benny. Why bagels, Grandpa asked. It's a secret, whispered Benny. Grandpa laughed and gave Benny a huge bag full of bagels. Benny took them to the synagogue. This is where people speak to God, he thought. Maybe I can thank him here. He opened the door and peeked inside. It was dark and very still. Benny trembled. Maybe I shouldn't. It's not prayer time. But he took a deep breath and walked in. He tiptoed past empty wooden benches. He climbed the stairs to a big wooden cupboard, the holy ark. His heart pounded. He could barely breathe. Maybe I shouldn't open it. Maybe God won't like it. The Torah is inside, and it's his special book. But Benny took a deep breath and pulled the doors open. King of the universe, he whispered. I brought you some bagels. I know you make them, but you never get to taste them because Grandpa sells every last one. Benny put the bag in the ark and closed the doors. Thank you for making the best bagels in town, Benny whispered. Then he ran off to school. On Saturday, Benny and Grandpa went to the synagogue. Everyone prayed and sang, but not Benny. He kept his eyes on the doors of the ark. Had God eaten the bagels, he wondered? And when the ark was opened, the Torah was taken out, and Benny looked inside. The bagels were gone. His heart skipped a beat. His eyes danced. I'm so glad you like them, he whispered. I'll bring you some more.
So week after week, Benny worked in Grandpa's bakery. Every Friday, Grandpa gave him bagels, and every Friday, Benny gave the bagels to God. Grandpa became curious. What was his grandson doing with all of those bagels? One Friday, he followed Benny to the synagogue, and he waited in the shadows and watched. They're still warm, just the way you like them, murmured Benny, as he opened the ark and put the bag of bagels inside. What are you doing, Grandpa bellowed. Benny spun around. Grandpa, he gasped, I'm thanking God. Duh. (laughs) You're putting bagels in God's holy ark, cried Grandpa. But he likes the bagels, insisted Benny. Every week he eats all of them. Oh, Benny, Grandpa laughed. God doesn't need to eat. He doesn't have a mouth or a stomach. doesn't even have a body. He doesn't, Benny frowned. Where do the bagels go? Grandpa looked at the ark and he looked at Benny. He stroked his beard and scratched his head. I don't know, he sighed. Suddenly the front door creaked open. Grandpa put a finger to his lips and pulled Benny into the shadows. In walked a man in a tattered coat. He took the bag of bagels from the ark. Oh, Lord, I was so hungry, he sobbed. For weeks you fed me. From heaven you sent such beautiful bagels. He tucked the bag under his coat. I have good news for both of us, he said. I found work. He wiped away his tears. Now I can feed myself and you can stop baking bagels. The man smiled as he quietly closed the cupboard. You helped me, Lord. Now I promise to help others. Then he left. Benny buried his face in Grandpa's coat and wept. God didn't eat my bagels. That poor man took them. Grandpa's eyes grew wide with wonder. Benny, he asked, you wanted to thank God. Yes, Benny sniffed. Well, you did, said Grandpa. How, Benny asked. Didn't you give bagels to a hungry man, asked Grandpa. Yes, Benny replied. Didn't he promise to help others? Yes, Benny nodded. Then you made the world a little better, said Grandpa. I did, Benny wondered. You did, Grandpa smiled. And what better thanks could God have? Our last story comes from a face that we might not recognize. She is a storyteller and a minister and a great joke teller and an MC. Um, she is the bee's knees. Um, one of the things that we have as an occurring theme is how we are joining in God's story. And our first testifiers are both people from this community. But as we all know, God's story is not limited just to UVC Andersonville. God's story is out in the world as well. And one of the things that our third testifier, Rebecca, does is she hosts storytelling events where people come together and share their own stories. And she does the beautiful work of finding God in the midst of people's stories so that she can bring so that God can bring 
healing to these people. So without further ado, please welcome Reverend Rebecca Anderson. might know is having a moment in Chicago, uh, just about any night of the month, you can see live stories in bars and theaters and music venues. And uh, if you haven't been to something like The Moth or Second Story or This Much is True or The Stoop or Essay Fiesta, when I say storytelling, maybe you have a flashback to fourth grade in your elementary school library where some former hippie with long gray hair has come in to tell you folk tales. And maybe that storyteller encourages you all to rub your hands together and then snap your fingers to make the sound of rain. Or maybe that was just what happened to me. The storytelling that's blowing up in Chicago right now is not that kind of storytelling. It's, it's people in a room very much like all y'all. Maybe more folks are strangers in these settings. And people stand up and they tell stories about love and addiction and parents and people dying and people breaking up and coming out. And when I first started going, I went to the event called The Moth. It's still an, the biggest event in Chicago, and it's actually growing. These days you can see it in one of three venues every month. But when it first started, it happened at Martyrs on North Lincoln. And it's a place without very many seats, and you couldn't buy tickets ahead of time online. You had to get there early and stand in line to get in. And then when you got in, most of the time, you had to stand up all night. So sometimes you could end up going to this thing and standing up for five hours on a Tuesday night. Who are we? You know, standing up for five hours on a Tuesday night just to hear strangers tell what might turn out to be pretty mediocre stories. And every month it's sold out. And I looked around and I looked at this sold-out crowd of people, like, trying to eat pizza and drink a beer, like, around everyone else, trying to do the same thing. And it was always primarily 20, 30, and 40-somethings, like the same demographic that a lot of church types are beating their breasts over. Young people don't care about church. Young people don't care about community. Young people won't gather to learn how to care for each other. And I thought, maybe the church should do a better job. I mean, the moth's tagline is true stories told live. Do we or do we not have a true story that we try to tell live again and again in community? I looked around and I saw people who were willing to stand in line and eat pizza standing up because they wanted community, because they wanted narratives that help make meaning out of our existence, because they wanted to hear true stories that are funny or about really hard things that remind us that we're not alone when we are in the absolute shit. I have always loved the stories of church. I grew up in the church, a pretty fundamentalist part of the church. And I loved it. Stories, music, potlucks. And then at a certain point, I just couldn't. It didn't fit with my commitments. What's more, the church that I was part of didn't fit with the commitments it proclaimed. A God of love who unfortunately had to condemn some people to suffer forever. An all-powerful God who unfortunately had God's hands tied and had to condemn people to suffer forever. And I just couldn't. And because I was a fundamentalist who understood that you were either in or out, I thought, well, shoot, I guess I'm out. And I spent a long time 
less away than I thought, dipping my toes into different faith communities, but really not participating in the life of the church, the life of the body of Christ. And then I was living in Boston, and a completely secular friend said to me, if I were someone like you, I would check out a church like this. I thought, a person like me? What did I ever say to you to point me to a church? And I went into this church that was only a half mile from my house called Hope Church. And even though I went into the building, I felt like I had come into this great big space. And I used to talk about it all the time, like taking a big lungful of clean, fresh air. And it was a place where they preached God's hospitality and practiced it. They preached God's abundance and they gave away a quarter of their budget. It was a place where I took communion again for the first time after having not received for a long time because I thought it was some sort of contract that if I took something, I was agreeing to something and I didn't know what that was. And so I had stayed away from the communion table and there they said, God wants to give you something that you're made to receive. And I was like, okay. And so I started coming back to church and I was in for a penny, in for a pound. Both of the pastors who had started that church because it was a brand new church, only about five years old when I fell in those front doors. The pastors who had started that church had both been to the University of Chicago Divinity School. And so at the same time as Cece, spring of 2007, I made a hard decision to go to the Divinity School at the University of Chicago, where I met a fellow student named Vince Amlin, where I had a field internship position at a church called Holy Covenant, where the pastor was a guy named Trey Hall, which is a name that some of you might know. Trey is one of the co-pastors, co-planters, co-founders of Urban Village Church. So church planting has been on my radar, and this fellow student, Vince, who also was a student of Trey's, Vince and I started dreaming and thinking and then planning what would it look like if we started a new community? And so in September, Vince, Vince is moving back to Chicago, and we're starting a new church in Rogers Park called Gilead. Gilead is that old song, There's a Balm in Gilead. Gilead is that place in the Bible, a wilderness place where Jacob wrestles with God. Gilead is a place of healing. And at Gilead, we're going to be about healing and one of the main ways we're doing that is, as y'all do, with storytelling. Telling, telling the stories from our own lives. We talk about Gilead as a church for weirdos. It's a church for people who think they're too smart for church. It's a church for people who've been turned out or turned off or just left cold by church. It's people who do or might find meaning and salvation in the stories of Jesus, but maybe have been told or felt, these stories aren't for you. And by sharing our own stories the way you do, too, we're making sure to include more of those stories that Patrick read about. You know, at the end of the book of John that Patrick read, like if all the things that Jesus did were written down, the world couldn't contain all the stories. We are the body of Christ. We need to hear the stories of the body of Christ. That's who we are now, living our stories and living God's story. Thank you. Yep, she escaped last service too. It's like Pokemon, gotta catch them all. 
If you were as blessed as I was by Rebecca's story, would you please extend a hand as we pray for her? God, I give you thanks for Rebecca and for the ways that you have inspired her to go out and find your story in other people. May we follow her example and look for you and for your story in the neighbors that we encounter. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Thank you. Yeah.